I was scheduled to speak on 9-11 on the 107th floor of the World Trade Center. And I was originally scheduled to speak that day at 9.30 in the morning. And I was scheduled to speak at this industry conference in front of 200 people. I was originally slated to speak at 9.30 in the morning. A friend of mine was going to speak at 3 o'clock. He called me two months before the event and asked if I could switch. That phone call saved my life because instead of speaking at 9.30, I was speaking at 3 and I hadn't made it to the building before it collapsed. We've got some Hey, I'm Luis. And this is Luis. You're listening to the Content is Profit podcast. In here, you're going to get the insights, accountability, and drive to create consistently and increase revenue. You'll hear from top entrepreneurs, creators, and anything and everything you need to know about content. All this while having a good time. The goal of this podcast is simple. Entertain, educate, and turn your content into profit. Let's go. Welcome, everybody. That was that was like smooth. Fancy, what are we talking about today? Guys, today we are talking about how can communication and leadership influence your content and even better, how can influence the people that you serve. Hmm. Let's go. I think everybody, every single person listening to the podcast over the last few months can use this information. But anyways, welcome back to another episode with another incredible guest. That is right, guys. And please don't forget to share follow or subscribe to the podcast contest profit wherever you listen to it and facebook and instagram and if today's guest help you move one step closer towards your goal please don't forget to share it with a loved one or somebody that you think this is going to help them move closer to this goal as well all right we're ready to go. <laughs> well, I was already reading the intro, Fonzie. You're reading the intro? Yeah. Oh, man. I, told you, I saw you. I was like, man, he skipped the call to action. <laughs> but that's it's okay. Love, I'll continue. Today's guest is the founder of Climb Leadership International, in which he coaches executives <laughs> on public speaking, emotional inte- intelligence, mm. and executive presence. Not to mention that he's an Amazon best-selling author, talk radio host of A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformations, and a passionate and accomplished mountaineer. That's good. That's a difficult word right there. I got it. <laughs> Guys, please welcome the one and only Chuck Garcia. <laughs> welcome, Chuck. Wow, what a introduction. Reese and Fonzie, I hope I can only live up to that great introduction and expectation. <laughs> I appreciate you, Chuck. And let me, I, I want to put this out there. Before we started, <laughs> my brother was like, Chuck, we're going to record this. We're going to send it live, you know, as it is. And Fonzie is usually the one that makes the mistakes. That being said, I made the mistake, but Chuck was so nice. And Chuck, can you repeat what you shared with me? Because I think it's of extreme value for those that are listening right now. Yeah. And just to put it into context, I teach a whole lot of very smart people and they are deathly afraid to make a mistake. So when I open up my class on the first day of class before they even know who the heck I am, I throw up on a big PowerPoint screen. Do not be afraid to make mistakes. I pause for dramatic effect and then I hit them with don't or be afraid of not learning from them. Mm. So to Fonzie, never be afraid to make a mistake. Always fear not learning from them. I appreciate it, Chuck. And that's why, you know, (laughs) I committed the mistake right now. But you know what? I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. I got to follow the cues here on my cheat sheet that I didn't do today. So I appreciate that comment, Chuck. (laughs) And, you know, 
I found that actually super interesting because one of my physical reactions when I make mistakes is that I start getting a little bit sweaty, right? I get I, I get what I what I call the sweaty pits. I'm like, I get nervous. I'm like, oh no, I made a mistake. People are gonna judge me. What are they th- gonna think about this? Right. And you are famous for public speaking, right? And you teach executives about public speaking, right? And I'm sure you see all sort of reactions when people make mistakes, right? When they get in front of an audience and they start speaking. And I personally believe that it's not that different from actually podcasting or creating content, right? You're talking to an audience. So besides, you know, learning from these mistakes and reflecting on these mistakes, maybe what are some few things, some pointers, right? That people that are starting to step in front of the camera and share their message or some pointers for them to, you know, maybe take it to the next step, the next level. Yeah. Well, first, yeah. Well, first I appreciate your comment because what you're describing when it comes to public speaking, now it could be having breakfast with your mom, being in a giant stadium in front of 50,000 people or doing the podcast. To me, it's all the same. Public speaking is not, let me turn on a switch. I'll get on a stage and then I'll start talking. It's not that at all, because if that's what it is, it's exhausting to go onto that stage or to turn on your podcast and to be something other than who you were before you even flip that switch. Mm. Is that making any sense so far? Absolutely. Yeah, 100 percent. Right. So here, so here's the thing. The thing that we are doing right now on this podcast, we are opening on our mouth. We are choosing words and we are vocalizing externally what we expect people to hear. Where does this emanate from the inside? Mm. And what happens on the inside? The inside is filled with fear and anxiety and love and hate and all kinds of things that get trapped inside the body. When we learn to communicate, what we're doing is we're taking all of those things inside of us and we are consciously choosing What's going to come out Mm. to your point, Fonzie, as I talk about or when I help people to speak publicly, what I'm really doing, I'm helping them to get inside of themselves, to remove the fear, to mitigate the anxiety, because if you don't take care of the inside, you will never master what comes out on the outside. Mm. So people think that public speaking is, oh, I'll stand here. I'll turn on my podcast and I'll speak. But what I did just now, I used something called the power of the pause. Mm. I allowed my body an extra one or two beats. So now we're thinking musicality. One, two, think about the rest in sheet music or think about any time you've ever heard a refrain. It's what you don't hear that makes the tempo and the cadence so comprehensible. Mm. So when we speak, and I'm pausing here and I'm clipping my fingers, I'm allowing you as the host and as the listener to catch up to what I said to maximize absorption. Because when a lot of people, Luis and Fonzie, publicly speak, they think that they've got to speak a million miles a minute that there's somehow points for speed, yet it's completely the opposite. Mm. How do I move you to my cause? And the only way I'm going to do that is to find just the right juxtaposition of energy, the right words, 
And when it all comes out, ensuring that you understand and that you have a call to action. Because if I don't do that, no matter how eloquent I may be, I didn't, I didn't achieve my mission. Yeah. So the first learning outcome here, power of the pause. And it. what Mark Twain said, if you have nothing to say, say nothing. Hmm. So often when I'm teaching people to publicly speak, a lot of the nerves and what you said about the body, the body begins to react. And that's the connection between the heart and the mind. And the heart and the mind are often not in, in sync. They don't always talk to each other. Yeah. So if the heart is screwed up and you try to get the mind out to come up with something eloquent, to something to bedazzle your audience, and your heart is confused, it's going to show up in the mind. Mm. And your mouthpiece is nothing more. Your mouth is the mouthpiece for the mind-body connection. So <laughs> how's that for the first learning? Oh, that was amazing. It. I love it. It throws me back. Last year we were uh, in Montana. We emceed an event for one of our podcast friends, George Bryant. And it was a great experience. It was the first time that we were there at the event. And uh, we learned the hard way, the, the power of silence, right? We're trying to command the attention of this group of like mm. 30 amazing, you know, top level entrepreneurs, right? And it was silence what allowed us to like get the attention of the room. And we were big fans of music and pump it up energy <laughs> through the roof. Right? But sometimes we need to bring that down. So I remember George came into the stage and he just like started lowering the volume of the, the music and everybody kind of like calmed down. And it was, it was such a, such an enlightening moment, right? For us, because obviously we've, for our platform, for our show, we try to create an experience that's different than anybody else, right? And you just experience that intro and that's kind of what the style is. But at the same time, when you go into different environments or maybe you're trying to portray uh, like a different kind of content, different kind of energy to what's the, what's the objective, right? For them, it was a place where we needed to collect the energy because we were coming from an excitement moment mm -hmm. to, Hey, let's come back to, to learning that let's come back to this and uh, that all transfers. So I love it. Yeah. And, uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. The very important move because a lot of people, right. As business owners, we, we talk a lot about the business owner becoming, or the business in general, right. Becoming a media side of things where they have to own their ideas, their IP, their publishing, like how do they, how do they own their process? And this is part of it, right? Like if you have, if you don't have that talent, if you don't, if you're not that person that kind of shares that message and knows how to share those ideas, it's going to be a little bit challenging and this is part of it. So thank you for, for bringing well, it up to us. You're welcome. But you, what you're describing, Luis, and it's something that I think I wish we, as when we all grew up, we were taught this and there's an old expression. Life is a balance of letting go and letting in. But think about that word, balance. What you described, Luis, is you started off with very big, wow, you know, music, a lot of energy. Mm. And then you begin to lower the volume. What are we doing? We're achieving the balance. Mm -hmm. We're always looking for the homeostasis between loud and soft, mm. between big and small. Think about this is a rhetorical technique called heighten the contrast. So anytime that we describe something, one of the ways we can do that, particularly if we speak in metaphor, I had something big and then I confronted something small. It was wide and it was narrow. The music was loud and it was soft. We're always trying to do that. And that's one of the techniques that I train speakers that me as a speaker and as a, as a host, I'm often on the other side with, well, I'm on your side. What are we striving for? Yeah. Think about our health. We're striving for balance. 
our marriages, what we do as parents. We try to teach our children to walk straight. And in order to do that, it's all balance. It's why God gave us two hands and two eyes and two legs. It's so that we strive to find the balance and that we resist the impulse to use too much of our right hand and not enough of our left. And communication skills are no different. We strive to find the balance between heart and mind, between voice, what we say, and what we hear. Everything that can be applied in this domain of communication comes back to balance, just as I'm doing right now. Love it. That's amazing, Chuck. I'm internalizing everything you said. I'm taking a few notes, and I'm definitely going to come back and listen to this again. Um, so I can, you know, cement it in my, in my brain. But I was watching one of your videos, and you talk about your Ten Commandments. And I think... One of the first ones was, and I have it actually here, the primacy and recency effect. You were talking about that. And now you sharing this lesson at the very beginning. It is actually making me reconsider some of our frameworks on how we run the podcast. Because we usually start with the backstory of the guests. We actually ask them about their story. But with you, we just started with a lesson, right? What is something that somebody can implement? And I I truly believe that if they stop listening right now, if they just listen for 10, 15 minutes, they're going to have something actionable and they're going to find a lot of value on today's episode, right? And I think that's what you mean by the, the primacy effect. They remember usually what they listen at the very beginning, right? And I think they also remember what they listen to at the very end. But that being said... I want to get to know you a little bit more and I want the audience to get to know you a little bit more. So why don't you share a little bit now of your backstory? How did you get to become a public speaker and how did you get to come up with all these frameworks and lessons and knowledge that you now possess? Yeah, well, thank you very much. And for context, what you were introducing was the 10 commandments of great communicators that's articulated in my book called The Climb to the Top. And the reason the book is called A Climb to the Top is because I accidentally, or at least by circumstance, became a mountaineer. And that was 20 years ago because I was scheduled to speak on 9-11 on the 107th floor of the World Trade Center. And I was originally scheduled to speak that day at 9.30 in the morning. The 107th floor of the World Trade Center had an event space. It was a restaurant called Windows of the World. And it's this beautiful place that has these conferences. And I was scheduled to speak at this industry conference in front of 200 people. I was originally slated to speak at 9.30 in the morning. A friend of mine, was going to speak at three o'clock. He called me two months before the event and asked if I could switch. That phone call saved my life because instead of speaking at 9.30, I was speaking at three and I hadn't made it to the building before it had collapsed. I say that because part of my backstory is a series of events that occurred that helped shape the, the guy that I became. And that was one of them. And I'll explain a little bit later why. But going back to other moments, there were two other incredible, important moments in my life. One, my parents are from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. 
And a year before I was born, my father was hired to, go, to move to the United States to teach linguistics at the United States Military Academy in West Point. So that event, my father accepting a position even before I was born, I was born and bred in the United States mm. under parents that spoke Portuguese to each other. My father lived in Argentina for five years, so he spoke Spanish, and his father was German, not a Garcia by birth. So I grew up the product of a linguistic father. Mm. My mother was a pianist, so I grew up to the sounds of Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart. And when I think about my childhood, I was always in the crossfire of language, that letters become words, become sentences, become paragraphs, and now have a basis for how we speak. I also grew up with a mother that learned to play Bach and Beethoven, the Beatles. It didn't matter. She could play anything on the piano. So I was hearing sounds, and my whole life was directed toward sounds that communicate, that move people. Mm. So you think about your greatest music. It moves us. You don't hear the music. You feel the music. So as I emerged in my career, I began to see communication skills like music. There was a technical aspect that you're trying to communicate. But the best speakers move people to feel something. And then if you can get them to feel something and you provide a sufficient call to action, like the great Martin Luther King, everybody else had a plan. King had a dream. And when he communicated that dream, we felt it. And it moved us to want to become part of that dream. And I think, uh, Fonzie and Luisa, I think about as I emerge in my backstory, I just had the influence of language, of music, of orators, of these wonderful communication techniques, be in words or, le or, or symbols on a sheet music. Yeah. Oh, my God, listen to all of this that we have the ability to be able to internalize and then use as a device. Who knew? So I think growing up, my story was very much rooted in I had wonderful parents that were devoted to the education of my brothers and I. I grew up bilingual. I learned Spanish along the way. And then through the years, I think just to get to the heart of my background, my professional background, I was a finance major in college. I went to Syracuse University with one dream to go to Wall Street. Mm. Landed at a big bank. Through a series of twists and turns, I was introduced to a guy that no one ever heard of, and his name is Mike Bloomberg. And I, that was another event in my life. When I told my friends I'm interviewing at this little teeny company that had 190 employees, and there's this guy who runs a company I never heard of. His name is Mike Bloomberg. And my, my friends, who's this guy? Like, what, what, you going to join a company nobody ever heard of? And I said, nah, you got to meet this guy. He had me at hello. I said, I got to work with this guy. So the first seven years, I was head of Latin American sales. Because I speak Spanish, I spent time in Caracas at the Central yeah. Banco Central. I used to stay at the Marriott right downtown in Caracas yeah. and drive around. But I spent years selling Bloomberg 
from Mexico to Argentina, Santiago, Lima, Caracas, oh, Sao Paulo. Wow. They were my stomping ground for many years. And then for the next seven years, and this is where the backstory really changed, I was, I became Bloomberg Company's public spokesman. Mm. And what that meant is my job was to get on stage all over the world. It didn't matter if there was a speaking engagement that the Bloomberg organization had a request. It was my job to go to wherever that was all over the world and step on stage and speak. Most of the topics had to do with the integration of finance and technology. Because that's what, before Mike Bloomberg became the mayor of New York, that's what the Bloomberg company is. It's a media company, but very much rooted in the integration of finance and communication. So for years then, I was the company's public spokesman and the 10 commandments that are described in my book are the tools that I had developed over my own observations. And I will say the mistakes that I made, how do I help others to communicate in the ways that I taught myself? Then I had the opportunity when I left my Wall Street world I formed my own company called Klein Leadership. I am what's called an executive coach. I coach many people, companies all over the world, how to communicate, as I'm doing right now, trying to teach our listeners something. And I am on faculty at Columbia University, where I teach these skills in the Graduate School of Engineering. Wow. What a story. I, I love that you connect, you know, this series of events, right, leading to... Who you become, right? And uh, and I think that's uh, on its own. That's a uh, that, that's like a that's a massive piece of information for a lot of people trying to put their message out there, right? Like we we talk with a lot of people that are starting to uh, their first experience speaking publicly might be in front of a camera, right? Uh, doing a, a live or something like that type of content, and uh, right. it's, a lot of people find a lot of friction there, right? So. You obviously you've had perfected over the years how you share your story, why you share probably certain things. Um, this story uh, about September 11th that's crazy to me. That's like wow, like what is one of those mysteries of the universe, right? So, and it's very powerful. It wasn't my day today, Luis, uh, I, and I can't tell you why. Yeah, and uh, you know, just just like you, for example, us coming from Venezuela, right? For those that are tuning in, probably that that they don't know, but uh, you know, I personally had a crazy experience like i got kidnapped and that was like that was it that was the moment where i was like i'm out right i'm gonna go find a, a new opportunity and maybe that's the reason we're both here right now that's the reason i have my beautiful family right so the all these events right that that sometimes lead to something but here here's here's my question right um in this new world of modern media and people are companies that have to like control their message and making sure that they're out there to the world providing a lot of value uh, we work with some companies that they pick, you know, they, they have an attractive character, whether that's a CEO, the CMO, somebody that's like for like, like you to Bloomer, right? You were like that spokesperson that goes out and, and shares the message. Uh, but some people right. find a lot of friction to that. And then they don't they don't they don't dive in whether that's the CEO might not do it. Right. The CMO might not do it. They might assign an external person. So what's your advice there on like how these companies can transition into because they they must publish in some sort of they have to put information in some sort right they have to be present in front of their audience they have to be connecting with their audience and with their clientele how 
How can they do that, right? If they encounter friction, what can they do? Yeah, well, I think a lot of the friction comes from, Luis, just to do, when, when, you, when you start to describe to somebody this job description, and people say, what, me? And that you, you ask them their education. What do they talk about? Well, the educational model, at least in the United States, or I can say in the world, it rewards you for what you know. It punishes you for what you don't. Mm. But it doesn't say anything other than that knowledge that you were able to cram, exam, and regurgitate on a test. That became the definition of how we describe people as being smart. Hmm. And that, that, that has been ingrained in our psyche as little children. If you're the top of the, if you're the, top of the class and, and you're a terrible person and you're not good at anything else, but you're great at taking an exam, you're number one, everybody's so proud of you. But to me, I don't give a damn. Does that say anything about your character? Do you align actions and words? Do you deliver on your promises? Where do you get a grade for that? Yeah. And, and what I'm describing then is I came to learn. I was not, I'm no genius. I'm smart enough, I guess. But this wonderful opportunity that came in the moment for this job that I described, nobody's prepared for that. That they don't teach you that. You don't major in that in college. And and if you do, it, good luck. You that you better be damn good at this. Yeah. But what I find, into your question, most people in the world tend to ascend based on the strength of their technical competence. And these companies that you're describing then promote people into these other positions. And it's called the paradox of success. The skills that got you halfway up the mountain are, are good and they're valued, but they're not the skills, Luis, that you're describing that get you to the top of the mountain mm. because anyone who is in a position to communicate professionally is always on display. Mm -hmm. You have to get most of it right and you don't have the luxury of getting it wrong or offending somebody. So why is this so daunting? Because the model that led us to believe that we're so smart had a grade, an SAT score, or some other measure of your brilliance. When you are taught to communicate, nobody's measuring it. They're telling you, oh, you're pretty good at this. Oh, he's very compelling. Great speaker. I don't have a grade. I don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. So why is it so daunting? And I, and I, I, I think that many of these companies my recommendation to them, because I teach it so many of them, if you have someone who is good at what they do, they are credible, they are respected, and they are trusted, invest in them to help develop the communication skills that helps you as a company differentiate through that spokesman. Because most companies, they all do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Who differentiates them? The individual who can speak with power, yeah. precision, and move people to inspire them, to persuade them. That's the main thing. And then to provoke change. So think about these three words, Luis. Inspire, persuade, provoke. Isn't that what we're all trying to do? Yeah. Yep. This is right. So, uh, yeah. 
this is amazing because like mm -hmm. I'm going in my head, I'm, I'm going through like these companies, right? That like um, in the in the content world, like Barstool or Bar Barstool Sport. Like yeah. we 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 go into like this like media companies that launched as a media company and then they turn and they monetize in a way. But you see. Uh, the recruiting, like, uh, of the creator, right? Because that creator is that person that inspires, that persuades, that uh, provokes that change, right? For example, you know, right. we're we're part of the Hotspot Podcast Network, right? So probably they saw some of that in in Contents Profit and the show for them to like put us in in their platform, in their network, just like many other companies are doing it. And and I think people listening right now, if I love this because it shows a roadmap, right? Maybe you have somebody internal that you can develop, right? But that might take some time. But like, what are some other ways? It's like identifying those skills in maybe people that are already publishing that already might have a platform available and uh, and aligns with your values, your your story, your thing, and then you can recruit those people into into the company and provide value together. So I'm trying to assemble this, right? Go ahead. I want to make another point, though, and I think this is probably the point that requires a, 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 a note of emphasis. When people go out to launch in their careers, they're highly motivated to get the technical aspect right. If you're going to become an accountant, a doctor, a lawyer, there is rigor to this thing that you need to learn how to do well. So you, would, you apply a lot of time, discipline, and the commitment to that profession. Okay, cool. My best friend's a doctor. I remember he was taking his boards, his all these exams. He was great. And he applied a discipline and a rigor to becoming a doctor. When it comes to professional communication, though, to those companies, once they identify them, the same level of commitment, of rigor, of conviction to the really great speakers of the world, they are not an accident. Let me repeat that. Mm. They are not there accidentally. It was strategic and intentional to learn the rigor of what I describe in my book, A Climb to the Top. If you want to be a great doctor, focus on physiology and anatomy. And then if you have decent bedside manner, you're gonna be a great doctor. If you want to communicate to move people to your cause, same thing, commit, whether it's my book, there's no lack of books, courses, all kinds of ways. But those, Luis, that take for granted that, you know, I'll just get up on stage and I'll wing it. No way, no how. This should be treated with the same level of conviction as if you were walking into the operating room to operate on my kid. You better be damn good at what you do. It's the same if you're going to step on a stage or host a podcast. You think you're going to wing it? You are rife for failure. So let me, let me just summarize here. To everybody, take a deep breath. Think about. If you were to step onto any platform that requires you to communicate, mm. take a moment and think about what you're actually doing. You're moving people to your cause. That's great. But what you're really doing is. Oh, no. <laughs> Did we just cut off? Buy, buy, buy something. So Amazon works very hard to get to your heart. They want to provoke a change in buy-in decision. People buy on emotion and support their decision with logic. So what do we need to do to get them to buy me right there? 
Speak to the heart. Forget all the mind stuff. I don't give a damn where you went to college, how smart you are. Don't care. We are redefining what it means to be smart. In order to do that, we first think about the, the, the heart. We feel. Get people to feel what you feel first. Second, then you appeal to their mind. Certain facts and logic, that's all good. We in society have the order backwards. And in order to get to the heart, find like you guys. You guys are extraordinary communicators. You guys are really good at it. I want to be a part of that world. If you didn't have the emotion, the music, the colors, your beautiful background, I would say you're just like any other podcaster. What's a big deal? But you're not. So you guys practice this. <laughs> Let me state well done. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Appreciate thank you. it. Yeah, it's yeah. been uh, exactly 328 times. Uh, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually had written a question earlier, and it was, what is the role of practice on public speaking. And I think you just addressed it perfectly, right? And- You think everyone hit 61 homers for lack of practice? Yep. No, mm -hmm. we, we don't watch Aaron Judge practice, but we can assume that when he's not on TV or we're not in the stadium, what is he doing? He's learning to hit a curve. He's learning to hit a change up. All great hitters, great pitchers. What are they doing when they're not on the mound? They're, they're they have their mental toolkit. Yeah. yeah. All of this, all the things that happen when no one's looking, public speaking is like athletics. It only matters when you're on the field. There was a game last night. Oh, my God, the Kansas City Mahomes. That guy is awesome. You watch that guy operate. What the heck is he doing when he's not on the field? Yeah. Public speaking is no different. Yeah, absolutely. I see it. Uh as a sport now, kind of like we, we right. grew up playing soccer, right? And it's the same, it's right. the same premise. I mean, you are practicing 90% of the time and then the, the small window of opportunity that you get in a game, that's where you get to finally see the product of all that practice and all that hard work that you put on before. Yeah. I There's also in another important port, important uh, part here, Fonzie, and I think it's a good metaphor of the soccer player. Think about, Let's assume that all the people on the soccer field are equally competent. Okay, the game is tied and you get five kicks into the goal. Let's just assume everybody can kick because all your life, all you've ever done was take the ball at 20 yards in front of the goal and kick it in. Okay, now you got a goalie in front of you. How are you going to kick that thing into the net? It's not that one person is better at kicking than the other. The person that you want is you want them to be calm under the weight of enormous pressure. They all kick the ball equally well, mm. but that's not the guy you want kicking the penalty kick. Mm. You want the guy who is calm, controlled, has the mindset of how to operate optimally under pressure. And that's public speaking. I can teach anyone the power of the pause, I yeah. can teach the primacy effect, but what I'm really teaching you, it's this thing called grace under fire. Think about who do you want kicking the penalty kick? If they're all equally competent, you only get one choice. Who's that guy going to be? The one who can stay calm internally, no yeah. different in public speaking. The one who is calm on the stage, it integrates calm with energy and enthusiasm 
and technical competence. Think about those three corners, energy, enthusiasm, technical competence. Mm. Love what I do, really good at it, calm under pressure. Who's teaching these skills? Me, no one else. And I wish someone had taught me that. Let's go. How, how do you practice that grace under pressure? Because when you're practicing, and I'm going to go again back to sport, right? When you're practicing, you don't have 90,000 fans looking at you kick the penalty, right? You're not under the pressure of playing in the World Cup final, or you don't even, you might not even have the goalkeeper right in front of you, right? So these are like different layers of pressure that come under. And I'm guessing when you're practicing public speaking, you might not have thousands of people right in front of you at that time. So how do you practice that grace under pressure? That's a very good point because what I'm describing is when we teach what I came to learn over eight years of teaching people, I knew what I knew how to do this because I learned to develop my own skills. But when I started to teach, it was a revelation because everyone had different fears and everyone I, I was teaching them to speak, but that doesn't mean they were a good speaker. So mm. what I found out, Lonzi, is when I started to teach a subject called emotional intelligence, it's helping people to use the techniques that the athletes use to stay calm under the weight of pressure. And when you teach grace under fire, because this has to come before, before you kick the penalty kick. What do you see that the guys who kick the ball do? Look intently at what they're doing when the camera's on them before the referee gives them the ball. My guess is they have put their mind and body in a particular state. They have breathed like we do when we're doing yoga or just if the, the, a, a batter ready to take a fastball at 100 miles an hour. He is breathing or she is breathing to take control of my body because I first have to get my body in control if I expect my mind to do what I need to do to kick the ball. Mm -hmm. So, Fonzie, what I'm describing are not only breathing techniques but visualization techniques. Yeah. In my mind, I have already kicked that ball into the goal. That's before 100,000 screaming Venezuelans are yelling <laughs> at me to make sure I score. Because that changes. You get It yep. rattles your brain when 100,000 fans have an expectation. You better kick the ball into the net. <laughs> yeah. So what do we do? It's not about the kick. That kick's already been determined. It's been determined in the mind. So we slow it down. We freeze the whole world. Nothing exists right now but me and that ball. There is no one. You can close your eyes. You can blink. You can just, the mind has an incredible capacity to visualize the future. So this is how we do it. Calm. Breathe. All that energy is focused in one place, only one. That's my mind to my foot to the ball. Calm, quiet, nice and easy. All those screaming fans, they don't even exist. I don't hear them. I don't hear the coach on the side. Right now, it's just you and me. Two seconds later, that ball's in the goal. So good, <laughs> and the hundred thousand screams yeah. of joy. Uh, Chuck, I love this, right? Because over the last few episodes, we talked about talent being a, a big lever, right? On on content production, a lot of people 
when they think about content, right, they go immediately into the production aspect. Like, how does that edit or like, obviously the storytelling or like the post-production aspect of a piece of content, right? Like the intros and the outros, how, how it looks. I'm, at the end of the day, it's like, if we're not actually providing value, nobody's going to consume that piece of content, right? If we're not talented, if we're having put in the work on doing the research on having the right questions or linking what we're learning on these conversations to what our business can do today to move things forward, right? That the rest of it is not going to matter. So I love this, right? Because we have to be in control and practice our grace. That's good. To create. <laughs> I heard right? the pause. Yeah. <laughs> to then making sure that the production just elevates that, right? And uh, and a lot of people that come into our world, into our service, come in through that lens of the production aspect because that's that's what we do to help them. But at the same time, it's like we there's some work that has to be done uh, in the creation aspect of it on how can we control our ser- ourselves to be able to do that and move our message forward to hold on, hold on. I got my, my to inspire, persuade and provoke change. Right. So um, <laughs> I've been taking my notes. So hopefully, you know, everybody at home is also taking, taking notes and making sure like, what are you doing right now? What are you doing today to, to bring it down, to take what you're learning today and applying it into the content, into the company of your, uh, the content of your company, the people that might represent your company. How are you actually applying this? So, uh, Chuggy, it's been yeah. so awesome. We have, we have a question for you that we love to ask at the end of every episode. It's like, where, where will you be if you never started publishing? We know you have a book, right? And we're going to put it right on the notes uh, as well for them to, to go check it out. But where will you be if you never uh, published or started public speaking? Wow. I, I've had a lot of questions, Luis. I've never had that one. I don't think I would be anywhere else. I, I think the book was my tool to be able to help the people that I have a responsibility to teach, to use it as a reference. And I don't expect when people read my book, you don't have to speak like me. That's not, I'm not trying to create a bunch of mini-me's. But Luis and Fonzie, I am a very blessed individual because every day I get to go to work in the service of someone else's success. I've already done mine. And, and, and what drives me now is every day I can help someone to get a little bit better at this thing, which is the juxtaposition of public speaking and emotional intelligence. So the book was written long after I wasn't, I didn't die on 9-11. Yeah. The book is a mechanism that allows me, it's good branding certainly for me, but it's my body of work that allows me to share how to help others to achieve their level of success. But also, I am a mountaineer. On 9-11, when, when I, exactly one year later, throughout the course of that year, I made a conscious decision that I was going to change my life, that I no longer going to do what I did on Wall Street. At some point, I am going to go to work and help other people. And mountaineering then became the metaphor for how to help people climb in their careers. Mm. The toolkit are the communications tools. So I very much relate the experience of mountaineering as a struggle of learning to weave and to bob and to zig and zag our way up these mountains. That's what careers are. That's what life is. Accepting the challenges. And Luis, even without the book, I'm the same guy. I was destined to do this. I am blessed and so fortunate this is not an accident, though. This is strategic and yeah. intentional. I know why God put me on this planet, and I work 
every day to live up to whoever that force is up there to live up to their expectation because they gave me a gift and I am damn well giving that gift back. Let's go. That is amazing. That's to the clap, to the clap. Yeah, I love Chuck. that, Chuck. We humble servant, guys. Chuck, we, we just came from a conference last week, and one of the speakers says something along the lines of, if you want people to believe, you need to show them that you believe as well. And that's what I've been feeling this whole conversation from you, is that you believe in public speaking, in emotional intelligence. You believe in what you preach and not just what you preach, but what you do. And people, I'm sure on the other side, are feeling that same things, right? And going back to the primacy and recency effect, right? That they remember mostly the first thing and the last thing, right? But I also believe they remember more, not just what you shared, but how you made them feel, right? Those emotions that you're talking about. And the fact that you are transmitting that belief to them is extremely powerful. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Fonzie. It's about the authenticity. It's about being you. You can't fool people. People are too smart for that. But yeah. to me, to you guys, you live it, you breathe it. You don't even have to work hard at it. And I think that's all the stupid advice that people, oh, or if you only work a little bit harder, give me a break. That's the stupidest advice I've ever heard because <laughs> – It's not specific. It doesn't talk about how we feel. If you live it and you breathe it, good karma exists for a reason. The force is with us because if, if you transmit the force, nature transmits it right back. Yeah. If you transmit nothing, nature transmits nothing. It returns nothing. Yeah. So let, let's for us and to our listeners, what do we decide to bring to the world every day whatever you decide to emit to the world the world's going to emit it back so make make up your mind what do you want the world to give to you the world will only give what you are willing to contribute and if you make up your mind to contribute to other people's health and success they're going to give right back to you it's not that difficult absolutely oh, so good. we often say it is simple yet it's not easy Okay, not easy, yeah. No, Steve Jobs, he coined that expression, simple but not easy. I agree. All this shit is hard. This is not, oh, you know, just show up. <laughs> yep. It's like, like what you do. You make it look easy, but you, you, you built a foundation of competence. You established a circle of competence, and then you establish your circle of dignity. What is not negotiable in your circle? And then your third circle is your circle of trust. So yeah. think about competence, dignity trust this is our life and whatever yeah. you put in those circles defines you mm. and everyone decides what what do we put in that circle every day those are my circles every day oh i think that's the episode <laughs> that was I'm, so good i'm just gonna put this out there we need to get you back on the show to talk about your sales <laughs> journey you know going through south america yeah. selling bloomberg i would love to learn some of the the lessons that you learned throughout that experience i think it'll be pretty impactful it would be my pleasure it's so it's so so much fun and rewarding collaborating with both of you This is an open invitation, you guys. Anytime, anywhere. Caracas, New York. You tell me. Where, where, where are you guys? We're uh, we're in Florida, North Florida. So uh, yeah, anytime. You know, yeah. people. What side of the state? We're in Jacksonville, so yep. the east side. 
Yeah, so we're you're, we're, you're okay? we're okay after yeah. the hurricane. We're safe. We're safe and safe. Family is good and safe. So you know, thank you, thank you for the concern. <laughs> but I think no, no. I think that's it. With that said, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the Contents Profit Podcast. Go ahead and follow the show in your favorite platforms and on social media at Miss Bros. Oh, that is right. And if Chuck here help you move one step closer towards your goal, please don't forget to share this episode and and subscribe and leave a five-star review. See ya. Bye, guys.